So this is exactly what he said. I realized from my research that leadership is basically a relational enterprise. (laughs) 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 And uh, my, you know, Craig, my response was much like yours. And uh, I said, okay, so what'd you do? He said, well, I realized that if 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 leadership was a relational enterprise, I actually actually had to build a relationship and get to know my people as people, not as an engineer or not as a whatever, but I needed to get to know them as a human being. One of the first things that I, I've, I discovered was that every system has a purpose. There's an output to it. And organizationally, the leadership system has nothing to do with financial performance, or if you're a public sector organization, some kind of you know, stakeholder performance. It always, always, always started with the experience of the workforce. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. This is episode 81, and our special guest is Dan Eds. Dan is a management and leadership consultant. He's the founder of an organization called Praxis Solutions, and he is all about leadership, but more importantly, understanding how great organizations build high-performing teams that continue to sustain that high-performance, high-impact over long periods of time. He wrote a book called Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership, Cracking the Code, of sustainable team performance. And what he found is it's all about systems, taking a systems and systematic approach to leadership. Some of the things he's going to talk about with us today are how the truth of leadership is that it is a relational enterprise. And therefore, part of your leadership system must be designed to build those relationships. One of the other things he's going to share with us today is how important it is for you to get clear on what kind of experience you want to provide to your workforce. Certainly a relationship experience. And I guess I'd say that the river that runs through our conversation today, the reality is that we must not only tolerate, but in fact, embrace and welcome the whole human side of every person on our team. That we wanna develop them fully, holistically, not just their technical skills. It's gonna be a great conversation about leadership, and this unique perspective about the systems of leadership. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are excited today. Craig and I have another really intriguing guest, and we're going to talk about some things that we really haven't talked about a lot in the last 10 months of the History of Impact Leadership podcast. Our guest today is Dan Eds. He's coming to us from Bellevue, Washington. And Dan has had a fascinating background. He's got 25 plus years as a practicing management consultant. That's what he does. I've done a lot of work in a unique industry. He's done a lot of work in the public sector. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about some of those nuances, healthcare, 
K through 12 education, higher ed nonprofits, some really cool industries. He's written a couple of books. Uh, most recent book, which I know we'll talk about today, is called Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership, Cracking the Code of Sustainable Team Performance. He's the founder of an organization called Praxis Solutions, and he's a guy that understands and studies and is constantly evolving when it comes to leadership, which is what we're all about here at Impact Leadership Podcast. So welcome, Dan. All right. Thank you. Glad yeah, to be welcome. with you. So, Dan, give us a little bit of the Dan Ed's backstory. All right. Well, uh, you just uh, gave me a great intro to it, which is I've been a practicing consultant for 25 years um, in those various industries. And, um, you know, I've, I've been pretty successful at it. Um, and it was so oh, five or six years ago, there was a number of projects that I'd worked on where at the end, I thought, you know, there's something else going on here besides revenues, strategy, marketing, process improvement. There's something else going on here. And, um, uh, and there was probably two or three projects that really started to trigger this question, which was how do high-performing organizations, or what I, what I refer to now as high-impact organizations, and organizations that have maintained a high impact or a high level of performance for you know several years, not for a year, two or three, mm -hmm. but for five, six, eight, 10, 15, 20 years, how do they approach the practice of leadership? And then there was sort of another question that was in the back of my mind was, is there a way, can, is there a way that they, or can you define the way they approach leadership in a systematic or a systemic way? So that got me into the, you know, four years of re research, which has pretty much taken over my life. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm now, I now routinely wake up at three o'clock in the morning thinking about it. So. <laughs> that's a good <laughs> thing. That's, that's a nice thing to be captivated by. Yeah. Well, unless I can't go back to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in your work, Dan, I guess the first question that comes to mind is the idea of leadership. I mean, I personally believe, and Craig and I have talked about this a lot, I think a lot of people see leadership differently. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say they misunderstand it, but there's a lot of different perspectives. So can you talk about how you look at leadership before we even get into the systemic elements or making it systemic? Um, yeah, I'm not sure I can even separate the two anymore because um, I'm so, you know, into this other idea. But, you know, ultimately leadership is getting work done with and through other people. Um, I think many of us have had the uh, experience of being a good manager. Um, you know, my, my first experience at leadership was, you know, I was 24 years old. I was working for a large educational organization uh, out of Chicago. And we were doing large seminars all over the country. And, um, you know, we would put 15,000 people in an auditorium someplace for a week. Wow. And, uh, you know, we had a team of what we called home office staff who would go and then we would be working with two or 300 volunteers on a weekly basis. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I knew how to do each of the various functions of the team. And, uh, and I knew how to do them pretty well. 
And one day my boss walked into my office and he pointed to my calendar. He said, on that date at this, in this city, you're going to be the team lead. And uh, something in me said, okay, wait a minute. I know how to do all of those functions pretty well. Um, as the leader, I now have to make sure that those functions get done pretty well through other people. That's a big shift. And yeah, and that's a huge shift. <clears throat> and, and I think that's, you know, I, I think that's a shift that maybe a lot of organizations don't really value or respect or understand. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, to, to be perfectly transparent, um, I, I thought this is different. It's a, it's a leadership thing and I got to figure out this thing called leadership. So, um, and I don't know why, but I, I went and picked up two books. Uh, one was on General Douglas MacArthur and the other one was on George Patton. And make oh, sure wow. I, <laughs> All right. Let's come from the military perspective. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my, my logic was pretty simple. Okay. If you're going to learn from the best, learn from the best, you know? Yeah. And, um, and <laughs> so I read both uh, uh, biographies and someone said, well, you need to read this other autobiography. And I read, and of course, you know, I had to see movies on both. So, you know, I go, I first, I'm at my first seminar and I don't remember where I was at, but I've got 300 volunteers that I'm working with and eight or nine other home office staff. And I did my very best impersonation of, of uh, George Patton. <laughs> and uh, as you might guess, I was a royal disaster. <laughs> And uh, at the end of the week, I think I was about as happy to leave those group of volunteers as they were to, <laughs> as they were to see me go away. And uh, my boss met me in my office, you know, Monday morning. And fortunately, he was very gracious and gave me another opportunity. <laughs> Did he also give you some coaching or some guidance? Yeah, he, he, he you know, he, he kind of said, you might want to you might want to tone the rhetoric down a little bit. <laughs> Well, you know, Dan, you bring up a really interesting point right at the get-go. You talked about how companies may not understand this or care about it. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder, at least in the last 20 years, I feel like there's a lack of understanding of that basic concept of what leaders do, mm -hmm. because most of the leaders that I run into where they're either struggling or the company says they're struggling is they, were, they excelled at a role, mm -hmm. they moved to the next level. Right. of leadership right and they don't get no expectations are set right mm -hmm. and in right. their mind i basically have to keep what i'm doing what i'm doing really well mm -hmm. and add some other duties on here right right and they don't even think very often about no my job now has totally changed totally changed and now it's about what i can accomplish with people yeah versus what i do plus a few other things i think there's yeah. a huge disconnect are you seeing Massive. that yeah 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 in fact uh one of the people i write about in in my book um a young guy named brian and um he was uh 33 or 34 years old when this happened and he he just turned 40 so it's pretty recent and you know exactly the same thing he's a he's an engineer by training a civil engineer and he's a brilliant civil engineer um, he works for um, one of the largest engineering firms in the world, 19,000 employees and, um, you know, 5 billion in revenues or something. And um, when he was 33, 34, he applied for an internal promotion 
It was a job that would have made that made him one of 300 emerging leaders in this company. And, um, you know, he's an engineer. He has, you know, so he takes everything serious. I mean, everything <laughs> is a serious venture. And uh, as he explained to me, he said, I thought I was, I was applying for a title and then they gave it to me. And I realized I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Because, <laughs> you know, like me and like a lot of us, we, you know, intuitively we think, okay, I'm a manager. Now I'm a leader. There's a difference there. What is that? And he literally didn't know what to do. So um, since he is an engineer and since his, uh, his professionally, his specialty is designing wastewater treatment plants um, and anything, oh. having, anything having to do with hydrology, I mean, he's your guy. Well, he designed a system and it happened to be a system of leadership. Hmm. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm having lunch with him one day. And I said, so they gave you this title. What'd you do? And uh, he says, well, um, I read several books, four or five books on leadership. And, and I don't remember what they all are, but I'm sure, you know, you would all recognize them. And uh, he said, I realized from my research, and this is exactly what he said. I realized from my research that leadership is basically a relational enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> and uh my you know craig my response was much like yours and uh i said okay so what'd you do he said well i realized that if 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 leadership was a relational enterprise i actually actually had to build a relationship and get to know my people as people not as an engineer or not right. as a whatever but i needed right. to get to know them as a human being, a person. Well, that, it, it's surprising how few people actually make that leap. Um, I would, I would tend to agree with you. Um, but you know, he had sort of logically in a very rational linear fashion said, okay, if leadership is a relational enterprise, well, what's my next step? Well, so he actually began to design a series of routines and personal rules for how he would build relationship. And it started out with as simple as, well, when people would walk into my office, I'd always make sure I took a few minutes just to ask them about themselves. That's and a get good to start. Know them. Not hard. It doesn't take a PhD in, in uh, organizational design to figure out how to do that. <laughs> but, you know, right. he, he just rationally, logically figured it out. But that is so good because so many people are just going to be sitting here staring at the screen when somebody comes into the door. Yeah. So what do you want? You know, and, and you, you're having that conversation with the screen while they're trying to right. talk to the back of your head. Right. right. I, I speak from experience when my yeah. wife used to do that when she came in. The room. <laughs> Finally, I turned the, the desk. So yeah, you're a wise man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, I think, boy, that, you know, that is, I will tell you something as simple as that is. Yeah. I think the word relationship has come up a number of times in all our interviews, Sure, but no one's ever used that phrase about a relation relationship enterprise. Yeah. And I think that alone, just imagine how things might change if everybody just realized that going into it. Yeah. Big time. And I would offer that one of the other challenges is a lot of the companies don't even realize that because I think there's two reasons. One is some people have built those relationships without, doing it systematically because they've right. got a natural instinct right or 
they've never done it and they've see themselves as high performers. So they mm -hmm. want everybody to be like them. Yep. So you've got a company that might perform mm -hmm. based upon engine individual initiative, yep. but it never comes together as a team and they yep. never achieve yeah. all their po potential because it's a bunch of great individual performers. Right. And, and I think that's, that's one of the things I, I, discovered in, in my research was that organizations that perform at a very high level for a very long period of time, they have a very systematic approach to leadership. And if they hire you to be a leader or a manager in their organization, they tell you exactly how to do it. It's, it's not, it's yeah. not a either, or it's not a, well, you sort of do it your own way or you, you do it based on your own set of values or your own personal set of strengths or whatever. They tell you exactly how to do it and they coach you and they teach you and they train you how to do leadership in this organization because they have a prescribed way of doing it. And, and that really is, a, you know, the, the tagline on the book is cracking the code to sustainable team performance. And uh, what I found is that that really is the code is organizations will will design their own genetics, if you will, their own DNA of how to yeah. do leadership. Yeah, I have my dad's old IBM management training manuals. Mm. Okay. And so that's one, one thing of, of looking at that way. And then we went through some other stuff uh, when I was working for an engineering company. And um, it's just really interesting to see the different approaches. And you know, IBM is very systematic and de mm. deep. You know, there's all these things to, to be thinking about and some other programs, you know, it really is much more about relationships. You know, if you're mm -hmm. going to hire good people, then you need mm -hmm. to be building your network. Right. And, you know, uh, some things are a lot simpler, but, you know, having a system is better than not having a system. <laughs> right. Well, you know, one of the things that I found is that every organization has a system. It might be designed. <laughs> Or it may have evolved and looks a lot like those TV programs that profile hoarders where, <laughs> you know, nothing has been thrown out in the last 50 years. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to get cleaned up. Right. Wow. That's a good point. So, so one thing I want to touch on that has always been a question for me, Dan. You, when you look at companies, there are companies that clearly fail or are failing. And those are usually pretty obvious, including the people who run them. Mm -hmm. Then you got everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the challenges for companies is they succeed despite themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I was right? just going to say exactly the same thing. And they, so then they don't even see it as an issue. And a lot of times they are succeeding, but at a great cost yep. of their people. Yep. And they'll say, well, the culture doesn't matter, or we think we have a good culture because we're, we're, you know, we're growing every year, we're making money, we're profitable. Yep. And I, I think sometimes the answer is that that's still true. Mm -hmm. If they could get the leadership right, mm -hmm. they might, the multiples would be crazy, but they don't even think that way. Do you, you sounds like you run into that as well. Yeah, that's, um, if I could camp on a theme uh, for about like the rest of my life, um, <laughs> That would be it because, you know, uh, the, uh, one of the values of thinking about leadership organizationally as a system is that a system always produces more than the sum of its parts. Well, I like the, the title of your podcast of, you know, impact. 
um, systems always create more impact than just the, the sum of the parts. Um, it's why I chose genetics and DNA as a metaphor because DNA takes sugar and phosphate, two common elements that's sitting in almost everybody's household kitchen. But the way they interact with one another at a very molecular level is the very foundation for life. It's how we can, we, you can sit where you're at, I'm, you are, and I can sit where I am. Um, and it's really the missing opportunity that organizations are, they don't know that they're missing it. Um, uh, but they are missing enormous opportunity. Um, you know, and, and one, you know, one of the things I write about is, is uh, so many organizations, they'll hire people for their technical skills. Mm. So they hire, you know, they hire um, engineers to be engineers and they hire software developers to be software developers. And when that software developer or engineer or, or lawyer or school teacher walks in the door, they're bringing with them a whole nother set of capacities called being a human. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, what's, what's the sign we need to put up, Jeff? Well, a lot of the companies need us. If they're going to be honest and transparent, the sign should say no humans allowed here. Yeah. <laughs> Just be right. honest about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we, we, you know, we read books and we go to seminars and we listen about, you know, how great human beings are and the, and the wonderful capacities for creativity and innovation and, 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 and value and problem solving and all this stuff. And then when, when the human being walks in the door of the company, we say, oh, by the way, we don't need that. Yeah. Wow. The, very, the very best part of you, which comes for free, just leave that at the door, please. What, what stupid people we are. <laughs> um, well, let me, let me, you know, one of, so one of my, the subjects of, of, of my book was um, a, uh, she's a, an el elementary school principal. Now, you wouldn't think of, you know, an elementary school principal as being, you know, one of the big leadership gurus of the world. But I, I would think um, if you took the best corporate leader and put them in an elementary school for about five minutes, by the sixth minute, they would be running <laughs> out saying, help. <laughs> Is her name Muriel Summers by chance? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Because um, she uh, actually, the, the book, The Eighth Habit, has a whole chapter on the, that school here in Raleigh. Oh, really? All right. Well, this, this school, um, in five years, it went from the worst performing school hmm. in a district of 25,000 students and 18 elementary schools. <clears throat> went from the lowest performing school to the highest performing school. And then when that wasn't good enough, they kicked it up another notch and actually began to close the achievement gap, which in education is a massive, Huge. massive yeah. accomplishment. And when I sat down with her, I said, I want to talk to you about your approach to leadership. And she literally said, leadership? I don't know anything about leadership. <laughs> she, then went on, she then went on to describe the most detailed, eloquent system of leadership I found possibly outside the United States uh, Army. Wow. And uh, when, I was, when she started talking to me about her approach to developing her people, uh, I had to stop her and I said, so it sounds to me like 
your approach to developing your workforce and your team and your staff here in this school really includes that whole human side of the person as well as the professional skills of being a teacher or a counselor or administrator or janitor. And she looked at me, this is no joke. She looked at me like I was from outer space and she said, yes, why would I want half a teacher walking in my door? <laughs> Good perspective. I Good thought that was classic. Yeah. Well, um, so I, I want to go a little deeper on this topic of the human side. One of our guests, probably three or four or five months ago, shared a perspective I hadn't thought of before, but I still remember it well. He was talking about this challenge in organizations where the person who's at the elevated leader position hmm. is looking down at who's coming up and they tend to look at performers, mm -hmm. which is a lot about technical skills and ability yep. to self-motivate, get things done. Right. And they tend to promote them. Yep. And yet the people who are here looking up at the elevated leader are, are rarely looking at technical skills. They're looking at character skills. And relationship skills. Yep. And so you, you're elevating the people based upon the wrong thing, frankly, or at least mm -hmm. not a whole picture. Mm -hmm. Number one, do you see that? And number two, why do you think that gets lost? Because you would think logically this leader up here understands that he or she is being looked at for character, yep. but they're not looking for it coming up. What What are some of the disconnects? Um, I, that's a great question. And I think really the disconnect is the reward system. Hmm. People are rewarded based on their performance. Um, if, you're, if you're a commercial organization, people are typically rewarded for, you know, you know how, how many widgets you get through the production line and how many you can sell. And there's some kind of a connect to profitability and financial performance, all of which is fine and good. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But, um, there's a guy at Harvard, uh, or not Harvard, Stanford University by the name of Jeffrey Pfeiffer uh, wrote a book a couple years ago called Leadership BS. Great book, by the way. <laughs> you know, and his comment, one of his comments that I think is, is totally appropriate, he said, leaders won't start taking care of their people until their reward system requires them to take care of their people. It's, it's sounds true and it sounds sad at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Right. right. So, um, you know, I, I keep going back to you know the stories in, in the book, but one of the uh, one of the people I interviewed for the for the book was um, a guy named John Hur. Uh, John is um, he's retired now, um, but he's he was the uh, CEO of North Mississippi Health Services. Um, he's the only guy that have ta that's taken three different organizations to. Uh, received the nation's highest award for excellence, which is the National Malcolm Baldridge Quality Award. And um, um, when uh, I was I was talking to him about you know leadership, and he had he had clearly uh, clearly designed a system of leadership at the hospital um, based on the principles of servant leadership. He believed passionately in servant leadership. Um, and so I'm asking him how he did that, and uh, you know, one of the things he did, um, uh, he said, I took every leader and manager and he said, um, we began to do uh, essentially a 360 evaluation on each one based on, in part, 
based on the levels of engagement of their staff. Mm. And they had specific thresholds. So, and it was, you know, it was levels of engagement against national standards. So it's a high, high standard. Um, and uh, each, each manager, including himself, uh, at least once a year was evaluated um, by a group of subordinates and a group of peers, as well as a supervisor or one or two people in a supervisory yeah. position. And in part, they would be evaluated based on the engagement levels of their staff, um, as well as um, their uh, modeling of core behaviors or foundational behaviors, which were very well defined. Now, when he was telling me this, um, I asked him, I said, so when you started to roll this, this performance evaluation servant leadership system out, I said, what was the response of your leadership team, the, the group that was already there? And he laughed. He said, well, <laughs> half of them walked out, and the other, the other half thought that they would just wait me out, <laughs> and I would be moving on. <clears throat> But he didn't move on, and um, their engagement scores uh, um, for the organization were at the top of the top of the profile on every on all of the national scales. Clinical outcomes were 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 outstanding. Financial outcomes were outstanding. You know, it consistently received you know the best place to work award. I think the last four or five years he was there engagement levels of their staff. And I think, he, I don't remember who he used to measure it. It may have been Prescani, um, uh, were the 96th percentile nationally. Hmm. Now that is a, that's a, that's a, just to get there is hard. And then to stay there is a huge accomplishment. But he had tied that reward system for his leaders and managers to those kinds of scales. And it worked. I found another guy, um, a hospital in um, Abilene, Texas, uh, did exactly the same thing. Hmm. And uh, 14 consecutive years uh, uh, rated by Gallup has, uh, they received their, what they call it, their excellence, uh, excellence in workplace something award. <clears throat> um, wow. Well, what I love about those stories is when we use the lever of, taking care of our people, all of the other factors in the business improve. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm, I'm curious what you've found from the research and your own experience, Dan. So I, I really love the story of how they did that systematically with rewards. And there's one voice in my head that says, if they're doing it just for rewards, does it have the same results as if they actually start caring about their people <laughs> or does the rewards is the starting point And then that becomes their muscle that becomes their yeah. regular habit. So it becomes who they are and they actually yeah. do genuinely care versus just trying to get the reward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something tells me it's, it's one of those questions. It's, it's yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I may not genuinely care about my team, you know, sort of the, the, the personal relationships and the personal people on my team until all of a sudden I'm rewarded to care. And then it's like, oh, may, maybe I better care. Well, there's, while there's other people and, and, you know, we all know them who are just dynamically caring individuals 
And it doesn't matter, you know, who they are, who they're with, you know, they care about that person. Um, you know, I, I sort of look at those kind of people and I go, ah, wow. Um, I, cause I'm not one of them. Um, I, 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 I like to think I care about people, but I'm not one of these just effervescent folks that just, you know, walks down the street and wants to give everybody a hug. But do you at least say, okay, when somebody walks into the office, I'm going to look at them and I'm going to have, I'm going to ask questions about them for the next five minutes. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I would have to say I've learned how to do that. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's good. Know. That that means that you've been open to understanding that the people matter. Right. Right. Well, it's not that thing... you don't hate people. <laughs> Well, some people do hate people. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you don't want them leading. <laughs> right. Well, right. But a lot of them are. Let's yeah. just be honest. We, we chuckle about it, but that's exactly what happened. Because it didn't matter. All that matters is their performance. Right. Um, so I, I had a discussion recently that I want to ask you about this theme. I was talking to a leader of an organization, and they were saying that, well, if we're supposed to be people-centric, if we talk, Craig and I talk about people first. If we're supposed to be people centric, why did we just fire this person? And they, they led to a long discussion about, well, no, it's still right for the organization, et cetera. And it's part of this confusion that I see of we're trying to be nice or not nice, which to me is mm -hmm. not even caring about your people has nothing to do with nice. Right. Nice is some other thing. Right. And the phrase that hit me was that the difference between being people centric versus person centric. And that mm. if we are person-centric, then I might make decisions just to be nice. Yeah. But if I'm people-centric, I'm going to make decisions for the whole, yeah. do the best I can to build each person up. But there's going to yeah. be times that I'm going to have to have that difficult conversation or that yeah. direct conversation and make a decision about their employment because yeah. it's people-centric, yeah. not person-centric. That's a, that's, a that's a great perspective. Yeah, um, I like that distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like that. I'm going to have to put my brain to that one and camp on it for a while. <laughs> but, but, well, you know, I think like, there's a there's a nuance too because yes, I want to see every person yeah. as an individual, not just the whole. But I think for me, because it was a new thought for me as well, when I start realize thinking about those different, I say, wait a minute, now maybe some of these things. That's a way we can look at what we think are inconsistencies, but they're really yeah. not. Yeah. As, as you're saying that, I was thinking of Aaron, this elementary school um, principal. And uh, so, you know, one of the things, one of the things I write about in the book is, you know, organizational resources interact through rules and routines and behaviors. Whether or not we know it or not, they all interact through rules, routines, and behaviors. And so when I was talking with Aaron, this, this principal, um, she brought them up. I didn't, I didn't have to sort of like nudge her in that direction. She started talking about, you know, how they had designed as a team, they had designed their own rules and their own, and she had designed some new routines and, and together they had designed some very specific behaviors, how they were going to interact together as a team. <clears throat> and uh, uh, one of the things that, that that allowed her to do because they were they were designed by the team and they actually they actually put it into a charter and it's I and it's I I read it and it's 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 a great charter, I mean it's saying it's like we're going to greet each other with a smile even if we don't feel like it I mean it's you know that level of detail, 
And, um, but what that did for her was give her the ability to have difficult conversations if someone chose not to behave, not to work in the, in the kind of a collaborative environment that she and her team were working towards. Yeah. So because it was the team that had developed this charter, if someone chose not to work or behave according to the requirements of the charter, they effectively took themselves off the team. Yeah. And exactly uh, the way it should be. Yeah. And, and, and then that gave her the ability then to bring new people on who looked at this charter and looked at what they're doing and how they're doing it and go, I like this. This fits with who I am. So then the, the new people she was to, able to add to her team, um, it was, you know, it was uh, it, it, people who were already on board. Yeah. They, they didn't have to go and do start training and coaching everybody. There were people who were already on board with what they were those trying. Core basic human skills rather than being able to train for the technical skills. One of the things yeah. that I loved about Tom Peters is he would say, hire for passion, train for skill, mm -hmm. you know, hire for that, that, innate capability yeah. of actually caring about people and those skills are much easier to train. Yeah. It's, it's, I was describing it yesterday um, to somebody. Um, if you have a system, um, you, you then hire people to what the system is going to ask people to do. Right. Um, you know, it's, I, I think I, for somehow the, the football analogy came to me, um, you know, a good football coach, will always have a really good system. And he's going to hire, he's going to, you know, try to get the right athletes on his team who can play according to the requirements of the system. And if he doesn't, the team's going to fail. Yeah. But if he, ha if he gets people on, on his team who, who can play according to the requirements of a system, then they will succeed. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. Well, I, I think you've identified something, Dan, too, that's so vital in a, as part of having the system. One of the things that when I'm talking to clients, I often talk about the last three years, especially, it just hit me, is the role of tolerance and leadership. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean, I think there's, to, there's good tolerance in the sense of tolerating differences, et cetera. Mm -hmm. yeah. But so often the problem in the organization is what we are tolerating and who we're tolerating. And there's an inconsistency of performance. And I would think the same is true with those systems. Like when they had the charter, mm -hmm. it worked because they probably held everybody accountable to that right. and expected it. Right. Because right. if the leader, for example, doesn't live it and yep. then comes to me and says, you're not abiding by the charter, mm -hmm. I'm going to say, well, but you don't either. Or right. Sally doesn't. Right. And I think leaders, too many, I've heard leaders say, well, what they did doesn't matter. Right. But I think that's a cop out because if right. it does, if I'm allowing someone to be act outside the charter for any yeah. reason, it's normal for someone else to say, well, I'm just watching them. Exactly. Boss. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, how many times have you guys heard someone say uh, in actual words or to this effect, well, you know, we have these core values, but nobody pays attention to them because, you know, this person, that person, this group, that team, typically the executive, the CEO, yep. they don't pay yeah. any attention. So why should, why should we pay attention to them? Right. Yep. Exactly. So true. It was interesting. I, I went into a company as a manager of IT. And anyway, as I was getting into the company, really learning what the, what the values of the company are. And I saw the way the number three person was treating people. I was like, mm -hmm. you know, so then I had a conversation with the CEO. I was like, this person isn't really um, meeting up with that. Of course, I didn't know that he was the third largest owner of the company or anything <laughs> like that. Here I was, this 20-year-old, yeah. something or other. You know? Right, right. Um, fortunately, he, he had grace. And uh, eventually, I think that there was some, some coaching that went on there in a, yeah. that, that helped that person become the better leader. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, had, I had the same experience with the, nat, the last uh, consulting firm I worked for. Mm -hmm. um, my, my boss was um, um, an interesting character, <laughs> um, to say the least. And when I, I left, the, uh, the COO calls me and she wanted to do like a, you know, outgoing exit type interview. And um, so she wanted to know what my experience was like. And I told her very clearly what it was like. Things like, by the way, you, as well as all of the other senior leaders of the company, within six weeks of me being there, swung by my office and said, oh, be careful of your boss. He has a way of destroying people. Wow. And, um, and when I reminded her of that, she said, oh, yeah, I guess I, guess I did. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And she said, well, why didn't you speak up and say something about it? I said, he he's a shareholder in the company. He represents the highest authority in the company. If he's not behaving in a way that the company really wants him to behave, it's not my responsibility. It's yours. <laughs> Is it? Is it? Yeah, I don't know. I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably change my mind now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, Dan, one thing I'd like you to do is we've used the word system a lot, and I think you've given a couple of examples. Sure. I know for me, when I think systems of leadership initiatives, like, what does this really mean? Yeah. Can we talk about what a system might look like? Because I think your one example where the engineer, mm -hmm. it's not what we would always think is a system. Right. But some examples of systems are about leadership, so people can yeah. say, oh, that's what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, that actually was uh, one of the questions that I was looking for was, you know, if I saw uh, every, in fact, every time I found a high performing, high impact organization that was performing at, you know, those elite levels for, you know, more than four or five years, I always started to see evidence of this other thing going on. And I, I finally had to ask myself, well, if I saw a system of leadership walking down the street, um, or, you know, riding a bike, how would I recognize it? And, uh, you know, so that got me into all kinds of research into systems theory, which I won't bore you with, although it's pretty interesting. It is but, interesting. Um, yeah, but uh, one of the first things that I, I've, I discovered was that every system has a purpose. There's an output to it. And organizationally, the leadership system has nothing to do with financial performance 
or if you're a public sector organization, some kind of, you know, stakeholder performance. It always, always, always started with the experience of the workforce. So, yeah, and that when I saw that, you know, I'm sitting at my office in my office one day writing all this stuff, and finally, it's like I look at it. That's the way. That's the experience of the workforce. Have any of you guys been been in the military? You guys, veterans. Glancing blow. Glancing blow. Okay. So, um, one of the um, I I interviewed two U.S. Army officers, um, both of which just blew me away. One was just getting ready to retire. He had 34 years in, uh, full colonel, um, U.S. Army Ranger, served mostly with the Special Forces. Um, and I, my standard question to everybody that I interviewed was, there are one or two words um, that you would use to describe, in his case, the U.S. Army's approach to leadership. What would they be? And um, this guy said, immediately said, we practice servant leadership. And in the next breath, he says, and there's another word that we don't use too often, but um, it's just as important, and that's love. Hmm. And uh, I thought, well, that's nice. Um, and unfortunately for me, though, I discounted his, his uh, statement because he also ch- served in the chaplaincy. <laughs> so I yeah. thought, yeah, okay, you know, that makes sense. That's his perspective. Yeah, look at Dick Winters. That's that would fit. Yeah. So a year and a year later, um, I get this guy on the phone, and I'm I'm uh, shaking like a leaf. Um, his name is uh, uh, General Barry McCaffrey. Uh, you may still see him on um, I think NBC News. He's a paid analyst for um, NBC News on issues of national security. And if you see him on the on the TV, he looks like this old cranky, angry old guy. <laughs> Um, and in reality, he, he, he probably is when it comes to issues of national security because he's passionate about his country. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, but I've, I've got this guy on the phone and um, I'm absolutely in awe that he's even willing to talk with me. Um, 32 year veteran of the U.S. Army, four star general. When he retired, he was considered by many to be uh, maybe the most uh, decorated general to have ever worn the uniform. Wow. Um, he went on and served in the Clinton administration for five and a half years um, as a cabinet in a cabinet position as the nation's drug czar. Hmm. And um, so, uh, and, you know, if there's anything about leadership this guy doesn't know about, it, it's either not worth knowing or it's not, it, <laughs> it can't be known. And uh, so I said, so if there's one or two words that you would use to describe the Army's approach to leadership, what would they be? And he immediately said, we practice servant leadership. And in his next breath, he's talking to me about love. <laughs> Sounds and, like consistency. Yeah, like, there's got to be a story there someplace. And so he tells me about his relationship during the first Gulf War with Norman Schwarzkopf. Yeah. And um, he said, you know, uh, Schwarzkopf loved soldiers. It wasn't just a thing. It, he actually loved soldiers. Um, he said, if he met you on the field someplace, he wanted to know if you were getting your mail. He wanted to know if you had everything you needed. He wanted to know wow. if your socks were clean, you know, if you're getting good food. He wanted to know everything. And he said, so, Love you it. know, 
I'm one of his divisional commanders, which for us military folks means uh, at the time he was in charge of, he was the commander of the 24th Infantry Mechanized Division, just a little group of 26,000 troops, 4,600 vehicles, 100 aircraft. Um, and he said, uh, he said, I was just one of his divisional commanders. And he said, <laughs> he said, he actually loved me. Hmm. And, um, and then the more we, wow. we talked about it and then the more, I, you know, the more research I've been doing, the more I've been talking to, to you know, these high impact organizations, I really, I, it finally dawned on me that their perspective on leadership is to produce a kind of experience for their workforce. So for my friend Brian, it was relationship. For the U.S. Army, it's servant leadership to produce really an experience of love. Wow. Um, for a healthcare organization up in Anchorage, Alaska, a Native American healthcare organization, it's relationship and story. Mm. Um, and those are two values or two experiences, if you will, that you and I might think, well, that's kind of cool. But relationship and story to indigenous peoples is how they have survived. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they are vital, vitally important. Um, for a manufacturing company that I, I looked at, um, I got him on the phone and he immediately starts talking about servant leadership as the pathway to engage every member of the workforce to find and eliminate waste in the manufacturing process. Interesting. And, uh, and that's really where the system starts, is defining that output, that purpose, in terms of the experience, not exclusively, but primarily in terms of the experience of the workforce. Wow, I love that, Dan. Well, and, and then like Brian, when, when he decided it was relationship, then there's all kinds of just natural, logical things that has to happen. Yeah. Well. Well, what kind of behaviors do I have to have and activities and routines must I demonstrate or model so that my workforce, my team has an experience of relationship? But I don't think everybody can come to that same conclusion, Dan. So many people have dysfunctional relationships. They don't know what a quality, true, loving relationship looks like. And mm -hmm. so it would be difficult for them to design a system to create something that they don't know. Uh, and that's, that's why the system, I think, really needs to be designed from the standpoint of the organization. Hmm. Now, if, if, if the three of us were working in, in the same organization, and Craig, you said, well, I really like the idea of, of relationship. And I said, I really like the idea of respect. And, and Jeff, you said, I really, I really want to start out with, um, I don't know, servant leadership. Well, if, if all three of us were operating at different value systems, what's going to happen to our organization? It's going to get pulled apart. Right. Or is, at least it's not going to have the kind of long-term um, impact that we really want because we have three leaders. I mean, imagine going back to my, you know, army uh, illustration, imagine uh, a, a, a company of soldiers uh, gets uh, ambushed and there's three senior officers and each officer is, is leading based on a different set of values yeah. and a different mechanism, different system, different requirements. It's going to be chaos. And in that environment, people die. Yep. And it's, it's just that simple. Um, 
And so what I found was that is that high impact organizations, they start out with this big, broad idea, call it, you know, relationship, respect, whatever. And then they start coaching and teaching and training every leader to that requirement. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're all good, good at it. Some, you know, if it's relationships, some are going to be better at it than others. But it's what, what I found is that there's nothing that can't be learned. Well, what I'm hearing in that, in your question, Craig, and also in, in your response, Dan, is first of all, it's important to get clear on, first of all, start with, we want to focus on the experience of our people. Mm -hmm. That's this top thing. That's right. important to us. Right. Then we got to decide what we want that experience to be. Mm -hmm. yep. And once we've got some agreement on that, then we start looking at what are the, what's the system and what are the behaviors that yep. will feed that intended outcome exactly. all focused on the experience. Because I think, Craig, at that point, you say, I don't know how to do that, but there's probably someone on the team who does yep. if I'm yep. willing to say it's about the experience right. and get really clear on that, what yep. that experience looks like. And then one level you go to your people, say, what yep. kind of experience are you having? Here's what we really want to be. What would that look like for you? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We're asking our people? Yeah, I know. It's crazy talk. <laughs> well, you know, so I, I was thinking about that exact same question yesterday. Um, and what I, what I found was that these high-performing organizations, they always ended up on a, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with this word, but it actually fits. They always uh, began with some kind of a transcendent experience. Hmm. Um, Yet each one was a little bit different. It wasn't a one-size-fits-all. So um, maybe you guys know the story of Paul O'Neill when he was, became CEO of Alcoa. Um, he camped on the idea of safety, employee safety. He thought it was immoral that anybody should go to work and be fearful of their safety. Yes. Wow. Um, and so he designed a whole system, including a system of leadership, that would produce safety in the workplace. And when he left 13 years later, it was safer to work in an Alcoa aluminum foundry with 2000 degree aluminum, you know, flowing around and, and machinery that could rip a man in two than it was, than it was to work in the back office of an insurance company shuffling paper. <laughs> but, wow, you know, that idea of safety in that environment made perfectly rational, logically good sense. On the other hand, uh, and I'm thinking of another healthcare organization uh, not too far from me, they start out with respect. Everything is driven off of this value of respect. Hmm. Now, if someone wanted to say, yeah, but they both end up at the same place, which is taking care of people, I, I wouldn't argue with that. But for that oh. organization, respect means something more than physical safety in a in a manufacturing environment so when you, when you say the word respect I, I have two different thoughts of what you may mean one is respect you know i as the leader need to receive respect or i respect each individual in the organization where where are you looking at from there well they actually define it three ways it's respect for the work so Healthcare work is is a is a is a important work in our community and our society. 
and it is to be respected. Just the, the value of, of being a healthcare worker and working in, the, in that environment is to be respected. Yeah. Second one is respect for their patients or their customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that drives all kinds of decision-making. And the third one is respect for the worker. Okay. So, um, you know, this, 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 uh, they have a rule, which um, you guys might find interesting. Um, if you are a leader or a manager, a clinic manager or something in that, in that organization, by rule, you do not become a problem solver. If someone on your team walks into your office and says, I have a problem, I want you to solve it. There's actually two problems going on right there. <laughs> yeah. Number one is the idea that some member of your team had to come into your office. Because as a leader, as a manager, your job is to be out of your office and working side by side as much as possible with your team, Hmm. working with them. And so if there's a problem, you're going to, they don't have to come to you. In fact, when I, I asked um, one of their, one of their leaders, I said, so what do you do about, you know, the, the, uh, the famous open door policy? She says, we don't have one. And if we had to have one, it would be an indication that our leaders aren't leading to, to the way we want them to lead. And, uh, and so, so that would be one problem. The second one is that, um, so Craig, if, if you are my boss in this organization, I came to you, said I have a problem, you can help me think through the problem, you can help me frame the problem, you can help me think through the impact of the problem, but ultimately the solution is on my shoulders. Yep, no monkey because, on my back. Right, <laughs> and, and, but it's because of this thing of respect for the worker. Because you are going to have, you are trained to respect the fact that I'm on the front line with that problem. I'm closest to the problem. Right. Therefore, I am closest to the solution. <laughs> you do not solve the problem for me. Wow. I do that. And when you do that, you automatically give me value. Humanly yeah. speaking, you just transfer power and value from you to me. Which means we're coaching now which means you're doing a lot more coaching. Exactly. Wow. Okay. I like that. But, but in that organization, it's not le- left up to, you know, well, Craig, you do it your way, or Jeff, you do it your way, or Dan, you do it your way. No, this is the way we do it. First of all, you are working with your, with your people. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the, I think one of the great stories about that organization is that uh, if you want to go see the CEO, um, guy that's been there for 20 some odd years i know i know i know where his office is at and i know the uh, the hospital that he works out of or the the compound and it's in seattle just east of me west of me and um <clears throat> the hospital from the top floor is going to have a dynamic view of puget sound we've got the olympic mountains to the west we've got mount rainier to the south it would be a gorgeous gorgeous view the executive offices are in the basement because they figured out that a there's no value in having executive offices where the best views are at. It's a that's an expensive piece of real estate, and um, the uh, leaders do their best um, their best leading when they're not in their office. <laughs> that's a that's great. <laughs> I love that. And so all of their executive offices are in the basement. Well, it's like uh, what was it? Uh, Intel, uh, you know, the CEO, he would, he, he had a cubicle just like everybody else. Hmm. 
where in many organizations, the CEO's office is really a symbol of power and prestige right. and authority. Right. Yep. And it's it has such a nice view that you don't want to leave it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Jeff, that's that's the first part of the system is just, is just to decide what do you want it to produce, and then a lot of everything else falls in place. But let me mention one other thing, and that's uh, what I found, and that's how the um, how these high impact organizations develop their people. Um, they universally, as we've talked about, don't limit the development of people to professional skills. They actually believe that part of their job is to develop the whole person. Yes. So um, this, the healthcare group I just we were, I was just talking about, um, they are as passionate about developing a workforce uh, who are n- not just as a group, but individually, who are stronger, more self-confident, uh, more empowered human beings as they are nurses and med techs and physicians and administrators, et cetera. And they actually have a, you know, whole processes in place to develop, you know, the whole, the whole person, the whole human being. And so when they, they've realized when they do that, that, that that person working for them, that human being working for them, there's value there that goes way beyond their technical skills and abilities. And, and that's one of the big differences that I found between sort of the average and high, high impact organizations is that the average organizations see people, and I would also include the other resources of, of money and knowledge as, as um, resource, as, as, as assets to be managed. You know, we often hear people say, well, our, our people are our most important asset. Well, really a bad word if you think about it. Yeah. Um, high impact organizations see people as a resource that can be developed to unimaginable capacities and capabilities. Yep. And that's a, it's a, it's nuanced, but it's a mind shift. You know, uh, Craig, are, are you, a, are, are you a, 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 an asset that Jeff has to manage? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> or are you a resource that man, if 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 we could help you become stronger, more self-confident, more passionate, more engaged with your work, that's that's value we're adding not only to you, but to the fact that you're working in our organization. And that's value that ultimately gets passed on to the customer. And if we help you have better quality relationships, not only at work, but also at home. Yes. Yes. It all it all fits. It does. Right? And, well, and let that, you get some sleep. <laughs> right. <laughs> then that last bit, I think, opened up a topic that's a whole nother episode. Because mm. I think that what you're highlighting to me is, and, and you're singing to our choir with mm-hmm. that, is do, because I'm going to my opinion is there's incredibly small number of companies that think that way. Shockingly small. Yep. Yet they're having the best performance, best impact, all of that. And, and the rest of the world isn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if they think that's not, they don't really buy it, that it makes sense. Or do they actually think they already do it? Mm-hmm. Which I wonder sometimes because I think uh, we had my friend Tommy Spalding on one of the early episodes. And he said, look, most leaders don't wake up and say, I'm an asshole. Yeah. 
said about 95% of leaders say I'm a servant leader, but the truth is yep. only 10% right. are in how they lead. Right. And that, that blind spot or that gap is going to prevent yeah. any real change as long as they think they're already there. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. In, in my research, I ended up looking at four or five healthcare organizations. One was because the data was, is, is pretty available. Um, you know, many of these, I mean, there's, Healthcare is a highly regulated industry, so it's fairly easy to get to the numbers. Um, but, you know, the one I was just talking about, literally within a block, there's another hospital, big healthcare organization that's part of, it's, it's part of one of the nation's largest healthcare organizations. And um, uh, highly respected, Lots of people go there for for um, you know for their health care, but when you just look at the numbers, one has eight probably by now nine consecutive years of being ranked as one of the safest hospitals in America. Mm. Some have even considered it the safest one of the safest hospitals in the world. Wow! People from they they train people in the UK healthcare system. Um, how to have a safe working environment in healthcare. Right across the road is another hospital that doesn't even come up to the rank. I mean, they're probably like a C or a B level. And so, you know, if I, you know, if I need healthcare, which one do you think I'm going to go to? <laughs> right. Now we're automatically into all kinds of debates about healthcare, but the point being, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, uh, at some point, I keep thinking, is anybody listening? <laughs> yeah, it's about the impact. We got to know what that is. Yeah. Well, this has yeah. been a fascinating discussion, Dan. I know that we're, there's so many different things that we could talk about here that would uh, you know, carry us on for another few hours. Yep. yep. Unfortunately, we don't have that time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Dan, um, we always want to have our, thank you so much. And we always want to give yes. our guests an opportunity to, Share anything in particular going on with you or your business that you want to promote or highlight? Sure, sure. Well, thank you, and and thank you both for this um, this opportunity. I have uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, would love to do it again sometime, online or offline. <laughs> um, yes. uh, the the you know I started out four years ago. Uh, the idea of writing a book was kind of a cool thing, um, and then I got into the research, and, and like I said, it sort of took over my life. Um, but the book has been out now for about two months. Um, it's on Amazon. It's called Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership, uh, Cracking the Code to uh, Sustainable Team Performance. It's also available. Actually, it's a better deal on my website, uh, Daniel, <laughs> DanielEds.com. I, I include free shipping and a couple other things along with it. Um, but, but the book, um, it, it, it really just has various stories of high-impact organizations and how they've designed, intentionally designed from the ground up uh, a system of leadership, some, most of which I would say didn't really even know that they were doing it. But when you look at it, it's like, okay, they've designed a system and um, they've got systems of measurement. They've got, you know, rules, regulate rules and routines, behaviors. And I actually explain what all that looks like. Um, I've got diagrams that shows the various pieces of a system mm. and then how it all fits into um, leadership. And then the, the final piece of the book talks about how to actually design, how to go about designing um, a system of leadership. 
Well, great. We'll put that in the show notes. Well, thank you. And that's, that's the thing that I, I want to do with the rest of my career <laughs> is, is helping organizations actually design systems of leadership that will actually not only produce extraordinary customer value, but also uh, unleash the basic human capacities for creativity and innovation and, and value creation with their staff. Awesome. Fantastic. So Dan, you mentioned the website where people can find the book. What is the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, yeah, sure. My phone uh, phone is really the best. I, 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 I tell people I will give anybody 30 minutes of free time if they just want to talk. <laughs> and that's uh, 425-269-8854. That's 425-269-8854. And um, if anybody just wants to talk about the idea, um, um, feel free to call me and uh, would love to chat. Fantastic. Man, thank you so much. Thanks for bringing a new topic to us, the idea of systems of leadership, which is a brand new conversation. I know I've already left with some new ideas and ways to think about this from this discussion. So that means it's been a good day. Uh, and thank you for joining us, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, thank I you. really appreciate I'm honored. it. I'm honored. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.